Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm a pastor and elder here at Resident. I'm glad you're with us uh, this morning. Uh, we are going to spend this Advent uh, a little differently. Um, this, this last year, we've walked through a lot of Matthew. Uh, we've, we've done so in a way that is very much in my wheelhouse. Uh, it's uh, the exegetical, walking line by line, digging in pretty heavily into the text. It's, it's, it's what I love and, and I still love. But at the same time, the season of Advent carries with it these, these themes uh, that each of the candles certainly represents, but these themes that churches globally focus on uh, every season. And for us, I, I want us to, to kind of take a little bit of a pivot, uh, both, both in, in the theme and subject matter, but, but even a little bit of, of how probably I'll communicate uh, today. And so um, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our text God, uh, I am thankful for this morning and this season of Advent and um, a season where um, much of the world is celebrating things that um, somehow are connected to you, some directly, some very indirectly, yet, um, God, we wouldn't have this season if you hadn't come. And God, we still live in a season of waiting, of expecting and so, God, as we walk through themes, big themes like hope and love and joy and peace, help us see how you bring those to us, both 2,000 years ago and still today. I pray I'll see your name. Amen. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? That's what we sing. Where everyone's dancing merrily in the new old-fashioned way. All these great themes. Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer, fun for all, that children call their favorite time of year, right? Time is now, the place is here, the whole wide world is filled with cheer. Or some of my favorites, party's on, the feeling's here. This only comes this time of year because it's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken and collard greens. In case you don't know, that's Run DMC's Christmas. Or my wife's favorite. All the love will show, because everybody knows it's Christmas time. And all the kids will see the gifts under the tree. It's the best time of year for the family. If you don't know, that's written by the profound poets in NSYNC. Um, <laughs> that's Christmas to my wife. But tis the season, and and the beauty is that my radio is no longer controlled by my kids' request for Taylor Swift. And I can finally put on Christmas music for me to enjoy as I drive. And, and I often love the sentimentality of these songs. But, but are they true? Is this really the most wonderful time of the year? I'll tell you, in Christmas of 2005, it was one that I will certainly not forget, though sometimes I wish I could. I'm gearing up for another wonderful Christmas season, uh, and I've always enjoyed that part of the year, and I get a phone call. Chris, I need you to come into the office this morning. Okay. I'm not, not sure what this is about. And I make my way to the office. I go into my boss's office. And he says words that I hadn't heard before in my life up to that point. Chris, you're fired. 
And I'm dumbfounded. It was a moment that really came out of nowhere for me. I was relatively speechless, but I did what I only knew to do. I packed up a box with my stuff in it and headed back home. My friend Josh was staying with me for a few days, and I walk in the door, and I say, I, I, I just got fired. And a blank look on my face, and I just head to my room and, and just sit. And remember, in some ways, this wasn't just my job. I was a college pastor at the time. Many of the students were so close in age to me that they were students yet friends, some who are still part of this church now. It felt like so much was instantly snatched away from me. It left me disillusioned. Disillusioned with the church at the time, disillusioned with even my call or to continue in ministry at all. And I went back to Florida to spend Christmas with my parents and felt incredibly lonely, incredibly confused. The next few months, I'd spend struggling to find employment in a season where I had no church home. I wondered if my call to ministry was still there. I was scraping to pay the bills. Merry Christmas. All the sentiment, all the joy, all the celebration was gone that Christmas. It felt like nothing was quite right. And I know I'm not alone in stories like this. Perhaps even this year, that is your story. Everyone's excited about the holidays, but you're anything but. And perhaps it's the first holiday without somebody that you love who will be here. Maybe there's relationship issues with family or friends or a spouse or children that you're trying to navigate. A nagging health concern that just won't resolve or that family member who's still, or the person you love who's still experiencing cancer or disease. Maybe you're walking through a season where your children just won't be with you this Christmas day. Stress and anxiety of deadlines is taking over your work or finals or papers that are due at school. So when Andy Williams sings, it's the most wonderful time, you just want to destroy the radio. And perhaps you know what it's like to be in a spot where it's just like, I'm just not going to hope anymore. Because all these is disappointment right now. It's a world as it is, bad things happen, and it often seems to happen to me. And let me tell you one thing this morning. Advent is for you. As Fleming Rutledge says, Advent begins in the dark. And perhaps that's what it feels like to you. Perhaps you're stringing lights on the tree, and yet life feels dark. Hope, joy, these ideas feel distant. And there's a yearning for light. There's a yearning for something to pierce just the darkness that you feel in this season. Well, I want to say you're in good company. The Christmas stories in Scripture are steeped in language of the prophets. Prophets who are often in this tension of a world that they are experiencing, but a world of, of hope. Not much of the language of the histories uh, of the Old Testament uh, or the Torah are, are, are surrounding the Christmas stories, but the prophets are all over them. 
Prophets like Amos and Habakkuk and others. But one prophet is all over Christmas more than any other. One gets quoted all the time. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Or unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And Isaiah is quoted all over this season. And he brings this powerful poetry, this language pointing towards Christmas 700 years before Jesus will ever show up on the scene. It's beautiful statements of promise. But before these beautiful words of poetry show up, we also get this poetry that we never sing. We don't put it on cards. It's poetry that reads very differently. Like Isaiah 33. You're welcome to turn there. You don't have to. I'll be jumping around just a little bit. The land mourns and languishes. Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sharon is like a desert, and Bashan and Carmel shake off the leaves, which are different regions around Israel. And the people will be as if burned to lime, like, horn, like thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? We don't read those at Christmas, do we? And Isaiah is speaking about his present and near future time when everything is going to seem hopeless. Isaiah anticipates a time where both the land and the lives of the people are just languishing. They're often used as this picture together. This land will be arid, representing even the, the people who seem spiritually blind or spiritually deaf or spiritually unable to do anything about their condition. And it's a beautiful parable, parallel, but let's be real about Israel at this time. It is because of sin that they are experiencing this stuff, sin of the leadership of Israel, sin about injustice that is happening amongst the people and the way they're treating each other, sin of idolatry. It's all over the book. And Isaiah even asked the question, God, how long is it going to be this way? Perhaps you're in the season where you're asking, God, how long is this going to be? And God answers him in Isaiah 6. He says, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it has felled. Okay. That's not the most hopeful words. <laughs> and Isaiah is essentially saying, look, I'm going to be real with you people. This is going to be hard. I don't know how long this is going to last. It will be desolate. It will feel like no one's listening. Isaiah is going to feel like I'm not present and I'm not with my people. It's going to feel that way. And we will see it play out even when they return and rebuild Jerusalem. It doesn't feel like it should. Even when they come back and set up the priesthood as, as they so desired, it never feels like it should. They rededicate the temple, yet it doesn't feel like it should. And there has to be this feeling, is there, is there more in the midst of this? But we also get the words of Isaiah coming along saying, something's going to change all this. Something will take place. 
We hear that streams and uh, that the land will be filled with streams. The land will blossom again. Isaiah 35, 1, the, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The deserts shall rejoice like blossoms, like the crocus. It's going to be this lush landscape. We get the promise in Isaiah 9 coming off of that, that harsh statement in Isaiah 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shown. There's hope for God's people that there's something to be seen or something to be celebrated. Isaiah 35 comes along. When the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstuffed. And shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. There's all this language from Isaiah of so much hope that their current condition, their even near future condition is not the finale to their story. But what will happen? What will change all of this, Isaiah? And he lets us know. God, God tells him in Isaiah 35, Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. God will come. And he will say it time and time again throughout his book. God will come. The poet doesn't know when God will come. He has really no clue even how God will come. Simply that God will come. Isaiah tells the people, look, there's a time of desolation, of struggle. God will feel distant. God will feel silent. Some of it's because of circumstances and choices we have made. Some of it, some of you are just going to experience it because it's trying to live faithfully in a broken world. But there's a promise. God will And those statements become what is essentially hope for Israel. There's, there's two main Hebrew words that often get translated as hope in the Old Testament. And both of them carry this idea of, of waiting and expectation. They even get translated quite a bit as the word waiting. If they appear in the Psalms, they're almost always the word waiting. It's different how we use it. We don't use the word hope quite the same way. We speak of like a wish, right? A desired outcome, right? Some of you are hoping your team would win yesterday, right? Advent's for you, just letting you know. <laughs> but there was hope. You don't know the outcome. You don't know how certain that'll be, but you have a, a wish dream that your team would win. And that's how, we, that's how we use it. But, but in Scripture, this idea of hope is very different. It's less an idea of a wish and perhaps a little more like, um, I have hope that Christmas morning I will sit in my living room and open presents with my kids. Now, it sounds funny to phrase it that way, but that's a little more the idea. It's like this future thing that, like, I know that's going to happen. I, I know every year this happens. And I know that's going to be this coming December 25th for us. And, and so that's much more the idea that Scripture tries to convey. And for Israel, this hope, this waiting, is actually just about God himself. <laughs> it, it's constantly phrased as if I'm waiting on God or my hope is in God. 
And the expectation is that God would come to his people. What they wait on is not necessarily even circumstances, but God himself. And it's different than optimism. Optimism sometimes can see sort of the circumstances, see how they might work out, really glass half full, like, yeah, but this could happen, right? This, this could work out this way. There's silver linings. We can make it happen. That's optimism. And there's nothing wrong with optimism. Some of you are wired just to be optimistic about everything. But it's not the same as hope. Actually, the hopeful people in Scripture is, are not people that are so focused on circumstances. Because sometimes they're, they're, they even acknowledge that there's no evidence that things are necessarily going to change. They're not looking at the world going, I see how this can work out. They're looking at it going, I have no clue how this is going to work out. But God better show up. Like Hosea. Hosea is speaking at a time when there's no evidence that things will change. But then he remembers. Well, our people were like that in Egypt. They were under Pharaoh with an expectation that maybe the situation would get better. But God showed up. And he can do that again. Bob Goff says that hope doesn't go to sleep just because it's dark outside. It lights a candle and stays up waiting for the rest of the story. Hope knows there's more. It's almost certain of it. Doesn't know when, doesn't know how. And that first Christmas was connected to so many of this type of language. There's so many promises like this, like Isaiah saying, God will come. Just wait. God will come. And all the waiting and all the hoping was born in a manger. And we sing songs still to this day. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope for all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Or a thrill, a thrill of hope in the weary world, the world living in Advent, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Or the hopes and the fears, all the years, are met in thee tonight. And God delivers on his promise to his people, to come to his people, to bring redemption and salvation. This is how the Gospels even read. Luke 1 will reflect on this, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God has seen us and shown up and come through on his promises. It will continue through the New Testament. Seeing Jesus' life, death, resurrection as the answer to sin and all the darkness in the world. We have an answer to Advent. The empty tomb was a symbol, this new door of hope in the midst of the wilderness for the world. Peter will use phrases like a, a living hope. We have a, a hope that is still alive. He's not in the tomb. Paul uses the term hope of glory over and over again. And they carry with them this idea is that, that we have a taste now. We have a taste of how things can be now. But we anticipate something true and better in the future. Hope is the place where expectations and desire embrace. It's a dual citizenship in this life and the life of the next. And it's not naive and foolish. It's not pretending or wishful thinking about what could be. It is rebellion 
against the world as it is. It is looking at the current world and saying, this is not the final story. There's more to, to be had. Remember when I said Advent is about you? Because in many ways, like we are the people still in Advent. There, there was the crowd that was waiting for the Messiah to show up the first time, and, and we are still participating and anticipating the, the arrival of God again. But in our daily lives, we, we all encounter darkness still. War is still ongoing. Children still get terminal diseases. Marriages still break apart. Abuse still happens. Your depression is still ongoing. Your parents are dying. You still long for marriage and it hasn't happened. You still long for children, but it's a heartache after heartache. You don't see how the bills are going to be paid. The world around us is still full of things that don't seem to be a picture of the kingdom of God. But the hope of Bethlehem is not just a distant memory. It fasts forward to become a present reality. It reminds us, particularly through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that there is another reality to this reality. There's a realest real, there's a truest true about how this world works. Whenever you listen to investment commercials on the radio or TV, how do they always finish? Past performance is not indicative of future results, right? Right? But with God, past performance is completely indicative of future results. He has time and time again, so he will. When he said he would come, he came. When he said he would deliver, he delivered. When he said he would save, he saved. So when he says he will restore, he will restore. You know how I know he's good on his promises. He came to that manger 2,000 years ago. He spent years saying, I promise I'm coming. I promise I'm coming. I promise I'm coming. I promise I'm coming. And then he came. And you know how I know he's full of grace and truth and love? Because of how he came. You know how I know he can pay for my sins and redeem me and forgive me and cleanse me? Because he died. And you know how I know that this world, the kingdom of this world, the mess that we are still in is not the final word because he was resurrected. Frederick Buchner says, the worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best thing. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints. Sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. And this is the hope we have. And some may look at us and say, that's a fool's hope. And perhaps, perhaps that's why Paul is like, if Jesus hasn't gotten up out of the grave, then, then we're to be pitied amongst all. It's a fool's hope, right? I have friends that look at my life and go, yeah. That's, that's a fool's hope. But as we stare down our days, our weeks, our years, our lives, as we look into the suffering around us, the struggles we are experiencing, the broken things all around us, the sins that we are being plagued with, that we long to be freed from, we continue to hope and wait expectantly, believing God will come. 
And here's an even more amazing part of the promise. In some ways, he's already here. Like, where is God when you're walking through the darkness or death? According to Psalm 23, he's with you. Where is God in the midst of war? Let's say under the rubble. Where is God when you're feeling heartbroken? God is near you. Crushed in spirit? God is near you. He is with you until the end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. But we continue to remember, our hope is not seeing all the circumstances will work. Again, this is not general optimism of things progressively getting better. It's trusting that one day, near or long in the future, God will restore all the things. No more tears, no more struggle, no more suffering, no more pain, no more disease. Sin and death will be conquered in its fullness. Sarah this week reminded me of, of a really powerful Andrew Peterson song. It seems I have actually a lot of connections with this theme. And at first I thought, oh, I'll come up here and I'll sing it and it'll be great. But then I'm like, who am I kidding? I will sob through the whole song and not be able to do it. And then I'm like, I'll just read the lyrics. But then I'm like, who am I kidding? I will just cry through the lyrics. Um, even listening in my car, I started getting choked up. And so, look, I'm sobbing already. Um, <laughs> So I just want us to give a listen to the song, and, uh, and then I'll close out. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone. After the last child starves And the last girl walks the boulevard After the last year that's just too hard There is love, 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 love There is love, 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 love There is love After the last after the last lie to save some face After the last brutal jab from a poison tongue After the last dirty politician After the last meal down at the mission After the last lonely night in prison there is love, 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 love There is love, 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 love There is love And in the end, the end is oceans and oceans of love and love again We'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the bones of the giver of After the last plan failed
siren wails After the last young husband Sails off to join the war After the last this marriage is over After the last young girl's innocence is stolen After the last years of silence That won't let a heart open There is love, 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 love All the broken things in the world, there will be a last one. To everything you're struggling with, there will be a finale to it. Everything that's painful, everything that's hurt, everything that's just a struggle and a drudge and suffering, there's a finale. And as the people of hope, which is what God's people are, our hope should move beyond these walls. We have good news. A light has shone. And I don't know about you, but most of my neighbors, I mean, I love them. And I'm, I, I always want to approach a statement like this with tremendous humility towards those outside the church. But they're walking in darkness. They're racked with anxiety and fears and uncertainty and hope in failing governments and hope in self-care practices and hope in the next medication. And we get to be the people of light in that world. Like stars in the universe. Share the good news that God was with us, he is with us, and he will be with us fully one day. And we get to hope and rebel against the world as it is. When we close, it's almost like a prelude to our Christmas Eve service with this message out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And then I'll invite Sarah up. It says, in the winter, it looks like the trees have all died. Their leaves wither and drop off. They stand like skeletons against the cold, desolate sky. But did you know, before even a single leaf falls to the ground, next spring's bud is ready? Next summer's leaf is furled inside that tiny buddy waiting. And Jesus said, there is nothing broken that won't be mended. Nothing sick that won't be healed. Nothing dead that won't live again because God is making everything sad come untrue. We can't see it now. But remember the fruit tree in winter? It looks dead. But the buds are ready to go.
And come spring blossom and fruit. So I'm going to invite Sarah up now to lead us in a time to reflect on hope this season.